Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue Podcast. As always, I am your host, Danny Matrenga, and thanks again for tuning in. This is hopefully one of your favorite audio-related stops on your journey to health and fitness. I try to keep it fresh. I try to keep it honest. I try to keep it real and just give you my expertise as a coach of over 10 years in the space as to what I think is going to work best for you as a hobbyist or for your clients if you're a coach. So again, always appreciative of every single one of you for being here. Hopefully, over the last week, you didn't lose your ass betting on GameStop or AMC. That was completely crazy. Um, As many of you know, I like to invest. Personal finance is something that I'm extremely passionate about outside of fitness. And investing is something I like to do actively. Now, let me preface this by first saying I'm not a financial advisor. You shouldn't take anything that I say seriously. And we're going to get to fitness in a minute. But this is just one of those really, really crazy, crazy moments in history that I'm like, hey, I know this is a fitness podcast. I know that I'm a fitness coach. But I'm also a human being and I have other interests. And we need to talk about current events because this was absolutely bonkers. Um, Basically, what it was, was we had a bunch of kids on Reddit. By kids, I'm using that term in a derogatory fashion. So we'll say non-establishment finance guys on Reddit, many of whom were young and using the easy-to-download, easy-to-use app Robinhood, to buy GameStop stock. GameStop's not a very profitable company. It's basically blockbuster, but for video games. You know, everything that you could do uh, on Netflix or with streaming, you can kind of do that now with console gaming in that you can just download the game directly to your system. And so GameStop's business model of buying and returning games has really taken a hit. And it's not super profitable. So big financial institutions were like, hey, we can reliably bet on GameStop to keep going down. So they tried to short the company. That's called shorting, when you're betting on the price of a stock to go down in the long run. Everybody else is basically playing the opposite game, where we're betting on hopefully things going up. That's basically all the stock market is. You're not like, particularly investing in a company, you're investing in a piece of that company that you hope one day will be worth more later, right? You're, you're, you want to hold so things are worth more later. And this, what happened here was a little bit more quick, rapid fire, and it eventually became these guys on Reddit buying the stock um, to raise the price and squeezing, it's called a short squeeze, these hedge fund guys. And a lot of people got in on it. It made a lot of sense to a lot of people to get in on it because it was something that at one point was fairly cheap. And then the shares got up to, you know, several hundred dollars over the $400 mark for something that was trading under $10 not that long ago. And a lot of people got in a lot of trouble with it because at some point this thing was going to bottle out or bottom out, I should say. And that got a little wild. And hopefully you, if you did it, hopefully you became an overnight internet millionaire and you really stuck to the man. Hopefully you didn't get burned with any AMC or GameStop. I was fortunate enough to get out of my positions at a profit. Um, But this is probably not something I'm going to look to do again. I got caught up in the craziness of it. Definitely got caught up in the group think of it. Um, God, it was borderline cultish. It felt like you were a part of something really big and cool. And so it's just crazy how quickly groupthink can change the way we behave. And, you know, as somebody who invests pretty passively, I, I invest in what I believe to be safe. It's largely automated. Uh, this was a deviation from my behavior. And it's a constant reminder that, you know, our worldview is influenced by what the people around us are doing and to just pay close attention and to always rely on some of those more fundamental principles. That being said, this was crazy. Can't wait for the movie to come out because the movie is going to come out, no doubt about it. It was that kind of crazy. So check it out, guys. 
getting into the fitness stuff now, or more specifically, your questions about fitness. And I got some of the best, best questions I've ever gotten um, from you guys. I think you went really, really in detail on Instagram the other day, and I very, very much appreciate some of this stuff. And the first question I'm going to answer is from Joshua Beaker at Joshua underscore Beaker. And he asks, why is nutrition so confusing for people starting out new to health and fitness? And the reason I talked about the GameStop story had nothing to do with this question, but I can't help but notice the parallel there. And I think a lot of why it's really hard for people who are just getting started is because they know and they've identified that they want to change their physique. Um, They know that nutrition plays a big role in that. They don't know how big of a role, right? A lot of people aren't aware of, you know what combination of nutrition and exercise is going to be required for them to, to lose the weight they want to lose? Can they keep eating the way they're eating and just train? Do they really need to diet hard and, and train really hard? People don't know. Like the barometer that we become equipped with is not super, super effective at, at telling us exactly what we need to be doing. So a lot of people right out of the gate are totally guessing with regards to their nutrition. And so I think that's a big reason why it's confusing because most people don't start with a good base there. It's not something that's really taught or reinforced to young people. So most of us, just like finance, kind of grow up and form our own view of how this stuff works. And so if you're around a bunch of people at your office who are doing keto and say you're like, man, I want to lose weight, and keto's the very first diet you try and you do it for six months, that's going to permanently shape your view of nutrition. And so a lot of the problem with the confusion in the nutrition space is most people need to do some unlearning before they do some actual learning, right? A lot of coaches are like, hey, Patty, glad you signed up for nutrition coaching. I'm going to give you some macros. You're going to eat 110 grams of protein, 145 grams of carbohydrate, and 50 grams of fat. Okay, have a good one. And Patty's going to look at that and go, 145 grams of carbs? That's way more than I was eating on keto. I could never eat that many carbs. So we can't just make prescription without recommendation or without education, even I should say, prescription without education. And that happens like all the time in nutrition. Almost every prescription is made um, entirely without, uh, education. And, and I'm not saying that's from coaches. Sometimes that does happen from coaches, definitely not from good coaches, but you know, most people don't go to coach for nutrition advice. They get their nutrition advice from somebody at work who lost some weight or a family member who's having success. So we've got to remember that the largest percentage of voices in the fitness space aren't educated. The largest percentage of people in the nutrition space or talking about nutrition or diets aren't educated on the topics. They're just people talking about it. And so a lot of the information in the space is just patently false. And so I think one of the reasons it's so confusing is because you're going to have to choose between diets when you first get started that are often quite easy to follow. They're very restrictive. They're hard to stick with, right? But the rules are simple. Okay, keto, no carbs. Okay, vegan, no no animal product. People opt for that over something nuanced, like understanding the ins and outs of nutrition. And usually they have to fail a few times before they finally figure it out. And so that's one of the reasons I think that most people find it so difficult is because they've been conditioned through a lot of misinformation over many years and they form their own worldview from talking to people who aren't educated on the topic. And in order to really grasp those fundamental concepts, they need to walk back their misconceptions and their preconceived notions about how nutrition works and really learn the nuts and bolts, which is not super sexy. Okay, next question from I am Lex Luna. Is bro split good despite science saying it's not good? So 
Let's talk about a bro split, and let's talk about the scientific implications of a lower frequency training protocol. So one of the things that we know for sure uh, with regards to training is that one time a week training is probably fine. Two time a week training might be a little bit better, and this is per muscle group. So hitting chest once a week might is probably great. Hitting chest twice a week, scientifically speaking, has been proven to be better. And hitting chest three times a week may be better than two times a week, but we're not as conclusive. So, and these are from studies that have been done fairly recently, where we're examining the training response of the people in the study and trying to parse out is one, two, or three times a week ideal. And I'm probably going to misrepresent the author here, but I believe the last name is U-Y-E- Y-U-E, um, and they did this frequency study that I'm referencing here not that long ago. And so I am Lexi Luna is really asking, can I train one time a week per muscle group, even though science says more frequency is better? And my answer is absolutely, because even though these studies, um, we can draw quite a bit from them, that doesn't necessarily mean that every person on earth should train each muscle group twice per week. Maybe you train so bloody hard, so crazy freaking hard that you really only can recover um, over seven days from one session a week. That's fine. As long as you're training hard, that should be priority number one. Can we get you to a place where you're training hard? And then we can talk about recovering from that and adding in a secondary training stimulus down the road. Um, and I think that the bro split is okay for some people. Like, you know, if I'm working with a client, um, in person, and I see him two, three times a week, we probably would do something like total body, really high frequency, because I only see him so many times. But maybe I'm working with like a bodybuilder, and that client comes to me and they go, hey, I got push-pull legs, and I'm running push-pull legs, upper, lower, but that last day, my sixth day of the week, I want to come train with you and just mash out arms, because arms are a lagging point of my physique. I need to bring it up into my next contest season. So I really want to just come to you and just crush arms. And maybe we save all our direct arm work for that session, or we sprinkle it across um, a more frequency, but we have like a designated day just for that. So maybe they do arms on their push day, their pull day. They do a little bit more arms on that upper day, and then they have a fourth day. So that would be like the opposite end of the spectrum, but we would still reserve a whole day just for that muscle, uh, which is the fundamental piece of the bro split. And so it all comes down to how much volume can you do in a week? How much time do you have to spend in the gym? How well do you recover from your training? And I'll tell you what, if you never hit legs before and you're brand new to this, whew, hitting legs again in three days is going to be tricky. What is interesting is one of the best ways to get over soreness is to actually just do the thing that made you sore. I know that sounds crazy absurd, but I promise you for most people, it's going to work out that way. Uh, but training a muscle group one time a week might be fantastic for you because you might not have a very robust ability to recover just yet because you haven't been lifting that long. So I do think that a bro split is good. I'm kind of cheesy and I, I you know, I, I will, th I will pretty much agree with you that any type of training that you're going to stick to and bust your ass on is good. Um, because I'm an optimist, I guess in that regard. Um, but if I was working with somebody and this is what I do with my clients, especially the clients who I work with online, because most of them are a little bit more advanced, our frequency is almost always right at that two time per week mark. And if we go into that three time a week range, it's more for specialization. But I really lean into that data that twice a week is probably going to be better than one time uh, per week. So next question comes from Dami underscore Foon underscore Hannah. 
And she says, my left anterior deltoid is hurting after bench press. Two weeks. Still hurts. Let it heal or start mobility. Thanks. Okay, I picked this question because shoulder problems seem to flare up quite a bit with barbell bench. And a lot of the reason for that is because our shoulder uh, tends to abduct quite a lot, right? We can go quite a ways out with a barbell, but we don't have a lot of ability to move into internal or external rotation. We are in a very, very fixed path. And for a lot of people, if you don't have great shoulder mobility and you're doing a lot of bench pressing, you can get problems in the shoulder. It's not uncommon. And one of the more common areas or more common tissues that we'll see inflame or get pissed off is that front part of the shoulder. You go out there, you bench three times a week, you bench really, really heavy. Maybe you don't bench with very good technique. Maybe you don't pay very close attention to how much abduction is happening at the shoulder. Maybe you let your elbows get way out away from you, right? You can wear and tear, put some wear and tear on the shoulder joint. So I'm not going to address this issue individually because, again, I'm not qualified to prescribe uh, rehabilitative exercises for an injury I'm not, you know, qualified to diagnose. But I will tell you this. I have had many clients that I've worked with who have a hard time with barbell bench pressing. And one of the first things I like to do is play with the angle of that bench and replace the barbell with dumbbells. And I want to see, can we position you on a bench, whether that's on a moderate decline, which in this instance would probably be the last thing you do, but anywhere from a moderate decline to a moderate incline. So I'm not going to force you to be a flat barbell bench presser if we want to train your pecs, right? And we really want to help you develop the muscles in your chest. We can use the barbell bench press for that, sure, but we don't have to use the barbell bench press for that. And that's important to remember. If our goal is hypertrophy, which for a lot of people it is, we can develop our chest using pressing motions independent of a barbell. If you're a power lifter, then we have to flat barbell bench. There's no fucking way around it. And you need to get your ass in front of a professional and get that injury diagnosed and rehabbed like a physical therapist. But for this instance, I would say if you're dealing with shoulder pain or even elbow pain related to benching, see if you can find a dumbbell press variant that allows you to get sensation in your chest that you can train in a full range of motion and that might contribute to less pain. If you can do all of those things, my bet would be that you can train hard enough and close enough to failure more frequently, given that that will be a little bit easier on the joint in most cases from my findings, uh, I would do that. So play with those dumbbells. That stuff is important. Okay. Kawaii.Katrina asks, lost a lot of muscle in quarantine, add a lot of fat. Will it take time to get my fit body back? Okay. Yes, probably it will. It's, it's not going to be super easy, but it should be easier to get back in shape, right? Than it was to build up to that point. Um, it tends to hold true that muscle loss comes back relatively quickly, right? And if you have experience and you've had success, um, getting pretty lean, I'm sure you can do it again. I don't think it's going to be easy, right? I don't think any of any getting lean at any point is easy for anybody. Um, but I think one of the things that you want to focus on is have a sit down session, sit down with like a pen and paper and write down 10 or 20 things that you were doing prior to the quarantine when your body was rocking and rolling. And then look at you know, what you're doing now and go, okay, of these things, of these habits, of these behaviors that I was exhibiting when I had the body that I wanted, 
What two or three can I reintroduce this week? Okay, when I was really lean, I was going on a walk every day. I was drinking at least half my body weight in ounces of water a day. I was getting nine hours of sleep. I was tracking macros. I was training five days a week. I'm going to do all that at once. That's probably a little bit daunting if you've been dealing with some of the decision fatigue and frustration and angst that's affected a lot of us during the COVID-19 pandemic. And so write down those behaviors, but pick a couple, two or three, and attack them really, really hard this week. This tends to work really well for people battling any type of resistance or uphill, or they're having a hard time getting traction on um, getting back to where they were, right? Because they try to go directly back to it. And they're like, oh my God, like, I just can't, I'm not the same person I used to be. No, you spent years, maybe even decades, slowly, but surely accruing more habits, more behavior change that allowed you to be who you were then. You're not going to just pick all that shit back up. Takes a little practice, takes a little sweat equity. You got to put some fucking skin in the game. Okay. So what you need to do is pick a couple of those habits. Okay. Maybe it's the walks, maybe it's the sleep. And this week attack that shit. Okay. This week, my goal is to go on at least three walks and nail my sleep. Okay. You got that in next week, add two more in. Two more and keep going. Keep slowly adding that shit in until you're back to where you were. But if you try to go from zero all the way up to, you know, 100 miles per hour and you skip all these gears, you're going to fuck up your transmission. Okay, you can't tell me, and I know this because I've gone through this myself, right? When I'm at my highs and I'm functioning and I'm totally rocking and I'm totally rolling, it seems like everything's firing on all cylinders. But there are times where I'm depressed, where I'm anxious, where there's other things going on in my life, where I have to give my business a pause, my training a pause. I have to be a little bit less rigid about how I eat. And I can't just jump immediately right back on track when I'm, you know, back in the mood to be on track again. Sometimes I have to do it slowly. And I've seen this happen with dozens of people. And so what I would recommend, again, identify the 5 to 15 to 20, 5, 10, 15, 20, whatever number you want to come down with keystone habits and behaviors that you were exhibiting when you were successful. See if you are, you know, still executing on some of them, cross them off. But identify the ones that you have, you know, slipped up on or kind of, you know, loosen the rigidity around and try to reintroduce one or two a week for a couple weeks. And I think that would be the best thing to do because you'll be making progress all along the way. It's not like you have to add them in and then once you've added them all back in, then you start making progress. No, 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 no. You'll start making progress the minute you start implementing even one of those behaviors again. So I think that is really, really important. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. Next question comes from Lula Lou 0609 and she asks, best PT certifications that you recommend, maybe even online given the state of the world. So I have done a lot of certifications. And if I don't mention one of the ones that you've seen in my bio on my website or that you know that I have, don't freak out. Doesn't mean it wasn't good probably just means that I forgot about it, but there are a few that really come to mind right now when I read this question that I have really enjoyed. And I want to share with you what I enjoyed about them. And I'm going to try to pick them from different categories because I think they're important. 
And again, for those of you who don't know, all of this information is actually going to be compiled in the personal trainer mentorship that I'm coming out with very shortly. Because I think a lot of trainers are going to spend thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars on their continuing education, um, getting certifications and courses. And myself and the team that I'm working with on this course have done a combined 40 or 50 courses in the industry. So we've done a lot of what's out there and we're putting together a tiered system where we're saying like, these are the ones that you absolutely should do. These are the ones that we really like. These are the ones we weren't a huge fan of. These are the ones we can't in good faith recommend. So allowing people to learn from our mistakes. And I think that just the savings you'll get from that portion of the course will pay for the course like 50 times over. Because if all you do is enroll in the courses that have the highest rate of return, you will get so much more out of your education and take it from me. Nothing is worse than taking a course that's either not applicable or you felt like you got duped into. I know a couple years ago, I'm not going to name names, but I went to a course. I flew across the country to go to a educational seminar um, that was purporting to be like top of the industry, the best of the best. Um, really cool. We do things a proprietary way. And I thought I was going to learn something really, really, really special. And I spent $1,500 on the certification. I spent $800 on the flight round trip flight. I spent $600 to be there for like two, probably like at least, what was it? So flew in on a Friday, flew out on a Monday morning. So three nights in a hotel, at least 600 bucks. Plus it wasn't a super cheap city to go visit because there's a lot to do and a lot of fun stuff. So we're talking about close to 3000 bucks I spent to go out and make this thing happen. And within like two hours of being there on the first day, I started to have buyer's remorse because I realized that I had been fooled by a lot of the optics of a lot of what was being taught was in from what I knew to be true, entirely false. I thought at first my paradigm was shifting, but then things started being said like the lunge and the squat should be a hamstring exercise. And I just had to go, hold on a second. This is not what most of the people who I've learned from, who I respect at a tremendously high level have taught me. So either my paradigm's breaking or somebody here is full of shit. And, you know, as I went through two more days, I started realizing and feeling like maybe somebody here's full of shit or maybe something about this um, just isn't resonating with what I know. Maybe I need to shift my paradigm. Maybe they're right. And so I went home and I was like, man, is, is everything that I'm learning untrue? Or is everything that I've learned up until this point false and these guys just totally shifted my paradigm or were these guys totally full of crap? And what ended up happening is a lot of the people associated with this particular institution started getting called out on the internet for being full of crap and getting in fights and it got really nasty and it got really bad and a lot of people rejected this institution and, and they're not huge fans of it anymore and I was out 3000 bucks. And that's I'm not out. I still learn stuff. There was value in it. Um, the instructors were really kind. They were really nice. I felt like they were teaching what they they believed. And maybe a lot of it's true, but it definitely, for me, felt like $3,000 I could have spent on something a little bit better. And if I could protect even one of you from doing that, I am going to do that. So I'm not going to badmouth anybody, but instead, I'd like to highlight some courses um, that I've taken as a coach that I felt were extremely valuable. Um, and the first one is N1 Education's Anatomy uh, functional anatomy and biomechanics course. And N1 is run by a guy named Kasim Hansen. Uh, I really, really, really appreciated how he taught the virtual section of this course. I signed up for it because originally there was supposed to be an online course 
and an in-person learning module at a gym where I often trained at. And that fell through the cracks. So I just did the online and I was so thoroughly impressed by the communication around the different musculature, the way in which muscles contract, the way in which we stimulate muscle tissue, how hypertrophy occurs into this awesome, really, really sweeping um, functional anatomy course that I felt was just super, super in-depth, super detailed. It wasn't way over my head. It was Kasim, the instructor uh, of the online portion. I'm not entire, I'm sure he does a lot of the in-person stuff, but that's not always the case. He did a really great job on the videos, and I learned a lot from them. Uh, I learned a ton. I learned like more from that course than I did from my anatomy course in college. And then I logged back in like a year later to freshen up. And I had found that they added a bunch of new videos on the same muscles they already had, right? But they decided to go even more in detail. And instead of it being Kasim talking on a screen, it was another guy whose name I can't remember, which is probably disrespectful, but he was talking about it on a model. And they had actually drawn the muscles over her body on white yoga pants and it was a lot of the same stuff, but it was presented in a different way visually. And I was like, damn, dude, this is fucking extra mile shit. Like you could make a crappy course and, you know, pump it out and do it one time and be done. But made a really good course on the front end and then layered in down the road even more detailed information. And like I got my money's worth out of that probably twofold, threefold. It was awesome. And it was all on the computer. And that's not necessarily the easiest thing to teach over the computer. So that's why I really recommend that specifically for this, because you're asking about stuff that you can do online. I thought that that was awesome. Another course that I really recommend is the CPPS from Joe DeFranco and Smitty. Um, and here's what I loved about this. This course seemed to be really, really great for new newer to intermediate PTs because it was extremely broad and Smitty who was the teacher. I did this one live, but I believe he does the online portion. They do have an online thing. It's one of the better instructors I've ever had. That's the common theme between these two that I've mentioned so far, really good instructors. And so I felt like Smitty was awesome. And you know, the, the curriculum was really, really broad, really, really in depth, tons of stuff from, you know, joint by joint assessments to speed training, to breathing, to rib cage dynamics, to mobility, to joint by joint assessment, but it's all put together in a really smooth, congruent way that would be super, super valuable. And, um, if I was like going back and said, okay, I'm going to do my NASM, which I got a lot out of when I did it like fucking eternity ago, um, because you needed to do something like an ASM to get hired at, at the gym I wanted to work at. Um, and I compare that to like the CPPS. I feel like the CPPS was exponentially, would have been exponentially better for me when I first got started. So that, uh, the N1 is more of a specialization course, but really, really great shit. And CPPS is super broad and I freaking loved the both of them. And a lot of it just comes down to the instructor. Um, there, I think that both of those guys just did a class job. I hope that I can do something similar with the course that I'm going to come out with. Maybe I can, maybe I can't, but, um, I have been really fortunate to have had the opportunity to learn from some pretty great people. And again, I've learned from more people than just Kasim and Smitty. And I don't want to bag on those people because I just haven't mentioned them. They're awesome too. But I feel like those two courses and those two instructors set the bar really high. And so those are two that I would recommend for nutrition. I like the Nutritional Coaching Institute. I still think NASM has a lot of great stuff. Um, it's been a while since I've done NASM. 
but they're still pretty dope. You can't go wrong there. There's a lot of good stuff. Um, I think the most important thing, though, is that you continue to push um, and you continue to focus on improving your education because if nothing else, you're going to keep learning. And for me, even on the ones that I did where I was like, man, I might have made a mistake going to that certification. It didn't provide me with the value that I was hoping for. That's a bummer, right? You don't want that type of stuff to happen. But I learned something even from those moments to be a little bit more scrutinous about who I learned from. And so, you know, I think that that's really, really valuable. And But those ones are the ones that I've done um, in the many years that I've been doing them, traveling all over the place to do them, that I really recommend to pretty much everybody uh, that asks. So CPPS and N1 Education, uh, functional, or I, I got him. I biomechanics course, and there's like a applied portion or a camp portion where you go and um, you actually put it into practice, which I haven't done, but I'm sure that's fucking great, and I can recommend it because you know what? Maybe I'm wrong, but if it's anything like the other part, it's probably great. So look into those. I think they're awesome. Okay. Next question comes from Abigail Nadner. Abigail N. Adner or Abigail Nadner. And she asks recommended books or resources for new personal trainers. Uh, I'll give you three right now that I think are great. One of them is To Sell is Human by Daniel Pink. It's a great, great book for kind of parting ways with the long held ideology that sales is bad. And a lot of trainers are, they really, really struggle with selling. And that's why in the mentorship, I'm going to include a reading list with each week. And the expectation is going to be that you use Audible or the books to, you know, learn through a guided platform during the course, some of this stuff that really matters. And To Sell is is Human by Daniel Pink is one of the books that's going to be in the course. And that book will coincide with our sales module. And we're going to talk quite a bit about that. But having the ability to become a little bit less intimidated and a little bit more comfortable and relaxed in a selling environment will pay dividends for any trainer or any person because, you know, you're not just selling people sessions and packages. You're selling people on doing a lot of work to improve their health. And that's hard. And becoming comfortable with that is going to be really, really important. Um, The next book was recommended to me by my friend Andrew Coates. And that is uh, The Process by Seth Godin. And The Process is a fantastic book. I'm sorry, it's not The Process. It's The Practice, which is all about the process. And that will be something that we use during the content creation module of the course. That'll be another one of the quote-unquote required readings in the course. And The Practice is all about falling in love with doing the work instead of falling in love with the outcomes. And I think that there is a tremendous amount of value um, in doing that. I think it's really, really, really big. Uh, And I think that if possible, uh, just being able to become somebody who's not outcome-oriented, but instead you're really, really focused on just doing it, then it's going to get done. And then, of course, the last one I always recommend is Atomic Habits. That's probably the most popular book I've recommended. And you'll notice like none of these are fitness books. Uh, And that's because I find that fitness is probably better learned through courses in-person workshops and shadowing books are fucking badass. But for a new trainer, you need to get in the trenches. You need to get your hands dirty. You need to see it. You need to practice it. And I think that these books would be really, really valuable. 
All right, guys, it's about 9.45 here on Thursday, so I'm going to wrap it up because I have a client 15 minutes or so. But I appreciate every single one of you tuning in. Thanks for the questions. We will get to some of the rest of these in a future episode because there's a lot of good ones that we couldn't get. So, guys, do me a favor. If you can, leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Share the podcast to your Instagram story. Share it with your friends. Anybody who might need help would be awesome. Still trying to grow the podcast and get my voice in more people's ears so I can help as many people as possible. I hope you guys have a fantastic day. I hope that you guys have a great week. If you're listening to this on Friday, have a great weekend. If you catch it on Monday morning, have a great week. All right.